You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. He's only going to allow those things to come into our lives for a purpose and for our uh, benefit. God is ruling and overruling all of the affairs in our lives. So, therefore, when trials come our way, we need to reassure ourselves that whatever is going on is God's doing. And you can also be sure that God doesn't make any mistakes. God doesn't cause suffering in His children's lives, but He does allow it. If you're in the middle of a serious trial, that may not be much comfort to hear. But remember that God knows your pain, and He wants to bring good from it. As Pastor Mike will remind us in today's message, we can rejoice in the middle of suffering when we place our trust fully in God. The trial will never be more than we can bear, and as we lean into God, He'll strengthen us and redeem even the worst circumstances. Now, here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Peter chapter 4 as he begins his message, Why Are You Cast Down? I remember what you said, you returned that I might live in my Father's house. Please grab your Bibles and join me. We're in chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. And I hope that by the conclusion of this uh, message, in spite of the difficulties, the trials that you're going uh, through, you'll come to a completely different perspective as relating to those trials and difficulties, and you'll know why you shouldn't be cast uh, down. So anyway, with that said, let's go ahead and read that text of Scripture, verses 12 through 16. Beloved, and notice the way that Peter addresses his uh, listeners as beloved, and that's also the way that God uh, perceives you and me as his beloved. It's a term of endearment, of love. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, 
but let him glorify God in this matter. Let's begin in a word of prayer. Father, we pray now that you bless our time together as we study your word. Lord, I pray that you would use it for us to be able to gain a completely different perspective and outlook and understanding of the difficulties, the trials that we encounter in our life's experience. Now that you have the capacity to be able to use those for our benefit, turn them around and use them for our uh, good. So encourage, strengthen, challenge your people. And God, as always, I'd ask that my words would be your words. For we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So once again, why are you cast down? Okay, so Peter, here in our text, offers some worthwhile instruction and advice for all of us who are confronted by the trials of life. And as I've said so many times before, just because we are children of God, we're not exempt from trials and difficulties. So, how should we react when we find ourselves thrust suddenly into some fiery trial? Well, notice, Peter encourages us, and he tells us, according to verse 12, don't think it strange, which can also be translated, don't be surprised, or don't be dismayed. Remember, it isn't possible for anything to enter the Christian's life without the sanction of our Heavenly Father, God. And He's only going to allow those things to come into our lives for a purpose and for our uh, benefit. God is ruling and overruling all of the affairs in our lives. So, therefore, when trials come our way, we need to reassure ourselves that whatever is going on is God's doing, and you can also be sure that God doesn't make any mistakes. You know, it was for this very reason, you know, Paul, when writing to young Timothy, in his epistle, in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3, he exhorts Timothy, endure hardness, and obviously uh, Timothy at this time was going through some hardships, some difficulties, some fiery trials, he says, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I mean, you know, when we're going through the fiery trials, the difficulties, the problems in life, it's so easy to fall into the common trap and fall of self-pity. And even we begin to question, we even go as far as to begin to question God's infallible providence. You know, we begin to question whether or not God is uh, in that trial whether or not God really loves us. So here's Peter's solution. Don't feel sorry for yourself. Rather, rejoice. Notice there in verse 13, he says, But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. So what does he recommend us to do? Well, simply rejoice. Yes, rejoice in your trials. Now why? Well, first of all, because we are privileged, according to our text, we are privileged to suffer for Jesus. Also, because Jesus lives. Notice the phrase, His glory shall be revealed. So that's another reason why we should rejoice. Uh, he will produce exceeding joy in those who rely on Him for His tender care and unfailing grace. We'll experience that work of God within our lives. The closeness of, of God, the tenderness of God, the provision of God. 
So therefore, rejoice. There's so many reasons for us to rejoice in our trials. We need to just trust in Him. We need to just believe in Him versus, and this is unfortunately the way that many people respond, we begin to ask the whys and the how comes. Let me give you a cross-reference for this. In John's Gospel in chapter 13, in verse 7, and I think it's, uh, we can, uh, uh, I think that this is an appropriate verse to share uh, with you, and it's relative uh, to what we're the subject that we're addressing. Jesus said, John's Gospel in chapter 13 and verse 7, What I do, you do not know now, but you shall know hereafter. You know, after the hindsight, after looking back, at the time that we were going through the trials, we couldn't make heads or tails of them. We couldn't see how that God could bring something so good out of something at the time seemed so terrible, but now having the hindsight, looking back, we see how that God used it for our good and our blessing, bringing us to maturity, working His work, his work uh, in our lives, building virtue into our lives, strengthening us in our faith in Him. So until Jesus comes, we need to walk by faith and trust Him without any reservation. Now, getting back to the wise, here's an illustration uh, that I think uh, fits pretty good here. Uh, an illustration from parenting. Uh, a child is not comforted by being told why he pinched his finger in the door. So I hope this is a good illustration. I, I Probably every one of us at one time or another got our fingers, our hands stuck in the, the door, and we begin to weep and cry, and, and uh, we were in uh, pain. Well, listen, the child is not comforted by being told why, by the parent, he pinched his finger in the door, but rather from the parent being there, the presence of the parent being there, comforting, throwing their arms around him, uh, reassuring him that it's going to be okay. So I, I think that that's a good example and illustration of that, because we are God's children. And sometimes God allows trials as a way of getting our attention, illustrating His wonderful care for us. Now, why is that? Because, you know what, we've allowed ourselves to become preoccupied with other uh, things. And uh, we just forget God. We get our eyes off of uh, God. So, here comes the trials. And God uses those trials and difficulties to help us to get back to our eternal perspective, which is a good thing. And listen, you know, forgetting God, uh, being preoccupied, allowing ourselves to become preoccupied with worldly things or pursuits, even happens to the best of us. I'll give you an example of this from the scriptures. How about John the Baptist? You know, here's a guy who was just serving God completely. In fact, Jesus said of John, describing him in this way, there is no greater prophet among uh, men. But listen, when John was thrown into prison in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 11, we have the record and account recorded for us there, he forgot what was of supreme importance, and that was his fellowship with God. And he turned his thoughts to himself, which happens to most of us uh, in our trials. You know, rather than looking to God, we look inward and we're all about, you know, what are we going to do and, you know, the hows and the whys and, and we become consumed by those things. 
John there was obviously thinking, why am I suffering? I've been serving God. Why has he allowed this to come into my life? Which is very true of human nature. I think all of us at one time, going through trials, have asked those same questions. He asks there in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 11, through his disciples, who he had sent to visit with Jesus, to ask this question while he was being incarcerated. Here's the question. Are you he that should come, or should we look for another? Hey, wait a second, John. It wasn't all that while ago when you were baptizing and making disciples of people down at the Jordan River, when all of a sudden Jesus showed up and you drew everybody's attention to Jesus and described him and recommended him to the people that were standing by in this way, behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. So John, what had happened? But now you're second-guessing yourself. Well, like most of us, John misinterpreted the trial and its purpose. And how did Jesus respond to the question that John's disciples had asked the Lord? Well, it's recorded first in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 11, verses 4 through 6. Go and tell John the things you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And then he concluded and said, Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. So what's the lessons that are to be learned here? Well, Jesus, who was in our yesterdays, is also the same Lord of our todays, and also of our tomorrows. He never changes. And listen, God knows best. So leave the reasons why and the purposes to Him. Just simply rely upon His promises. Let me give you a cross-reference. In the 125th Psalm, in verse 2, there this, the psalmist declares, As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds His people from this time forth and forever. So listen, after thousands of years, those mountains are still standing around the city of Jerusalem. So, gang, don't be surprised by trials. Don't pity yourself. Don't allow fear to come and grip your heart and shut you down. Rather, rejoice. Why? Because we know that He is working and that He cares for those He loves. Okay, well, let's go back to our text now. Peter goes on sharing some additional words of encouragement. Notice there in verse 4, we are told, The Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So what is he referring to here? Well, that is, God is with you, and his faithfulness will never waver. Now, our friends would tell us and have us to believe otherwise. When we are going through some trial, some trouble, and our unbelieving uh, friends, and yes, we have unbelieving friends, are around and become aware of the things that we're going through, they will advise us to forget God. Uh, they would suggest that God isn't concerned about us, that God is in eth in helping us in our particular situation. But let me ask you, what do unbelievers know about God's providence? An unbeliever has never surrendered their life 
to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Their lives aren't under his control and under his providential care. So don't permit them to discourage you. Remember, you belong to God. And thus the spirit of glory and of God, as Peter suggests, rests upon you. You know, there's this story of an atheist whose pumpkin crop was unusually good one particular season, while that of a Christian neighbor's was frozen. He approached the Christian asking, Why did your God allow your pumpkins to freeze? Very skeptical. Mine are all right. Well, the Christian, in humility, realizing his own need for chastising, from the Lord replied, God is not raising pumpkins, he's rather raising men. You see, he had a completely different perspective on losing his crop. He saw it as a blessing coming from God. God was chastening him. God was proving him. God was doing a work in his life, a very specific uh, work. He had a plan and a purpose, and that was to bring this fellow to maturity. God is not raising pumpkins. He is raising men. So God permits the fires of affliction to try us to make us better men and women for himself. Now, Paul had this perspective in his own life's experience, and if anyone knew something about trials and affliction, it would have been uh, Paul. But in addressing this subject in the book of Romans, in chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, for example, there he writes, But we also glory in tribulations. Why? Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance or virtue. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So Paul was someone who was absolutely secure in the love of uh, God. Now, Someone may be thinking at this point, well, what about the devil and his ability to be able to afflict us? And yes, it is true. But listen, remember this. He is under the jurisdiction and control of God Almighty. And God will only allow him to do the things that he wants him and allows him to do. In fact, he is used to fulfill God's divine purposes. He's just a puppet in the hand of God. And he cannot trespass beyond God's place boundaries. A classical example of this, of course, would be a Job. Remember the conversation in chapter 1 of the book of Job between the devil and God. The angels of God were uh, presenting themselves before God, and the devil was a part of that group. And God took this opportunity to brag about his servant Job and how that he was faithful and trustworthy. Well, the devil's response was, of course he's trustworthy. Uh, you've blessed him. Remove those blessings from his life and he'll curse you. And so uh, the God uh, took him up on that offer and he uh, allowed the devil to afflict him, but uh, to the extent of never taking his life uh, from him. 
And so we read at the conclusion of that book of the Bible that Job's end was better than his beginning. And that's always the case. Even when the devil afflicts us, God is using that. And you can also be sure that our ends will be uh, better than our beginnings. Let me give you another example of this. Remember Joseph and his wicked uh, brothers who were moved by jealousy. Remember the coat of many colors. In other words, Joseph was his father Jacob's favorite son. And he stood in line to inherit all that his father uh, had. And so his brothers moved with jealousy, and I believe that that was satanically inspired, sold their brother Joseph into a slavery. And then through an unusual series of circumstances, uh, Joseph was elevated to a position of second only in the nation of Israel to Pharaoh. He was Egypt's uh, governor. Now, during the time of great famine throughout the land, Joseph's family, his father Jacob and his brothers, were brought down to Egypt to purchase corn and to produce, uh, purchase other items that they might be sustained during the famine. And Joseph took care of them. And so, after revealing himself, initially he had disguised his true identity to his brothers, after uh, revealing his true identity uh, to them, notice what he said, and it's recorded first in the book of Genesis in chapter 50, in verse 20, you thought it for evil against me, that is selling him into slavery, but God meant it for good. You see, the devil, remember these brothers, I believe, were satanically inspired. The devil couldn't defeat the purposes of God. And what was the purposes of God? To sustain Jacob and his family that would ultimately become the nation of, of Israel during that time of great famine. You see, every act of the wicked one is ultimately transformed by God in praise and honor. You know, G. Campbell Morgan, who was considered the prince of preacher, uh, uh, preachers, said uh, in a lecture that his friend, Dr. Samuel uh, Chadwick, told on this incident from his boyhood life. Like most boys, he was fond of hanging around a blacksmith shop. He watched the blacksmith hold a piece of iron in the fire with the tongs while he worked the bellows to make the iron white hot. Then he watched the blacksmith take the iron out and lay it upon the anvil, and with a small hammer, give it a slight tap. And then a big fellow on the other side of the anvil would then strike it a terrific blow on the same spot. Now one day, the young Chadwick said to the blacksmith, you don't do much good with that little hammer, do you? Well, the blacksmith laughed as he replied, not much. I only show the big fellow where to hit with the sledgehammer. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be, oh my heart. As we study the book of First Peter together, we pray it has both encouraged and challenged you to grow in your faith. The Apostle Peter understands that standing firm in your faith isn't all so easy, but the reward is great. 
Learn from him today and practice self-discipline and trust the Lord to help you through. You've been listening to In My Father's House, and we're so glad you tuned in to hear today's teaching with Pastor Mike. To listen to today's message again or to hear more from Pastor Mike, just search for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio on your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram to keep up to date on our day-to-day happenings. If you're looking for a place in Midtown Manhattan to come together with others and worship Jesus, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday for worship at Harvest Christian Fellowship. You'll be able to reserve your seat and get directions to our easy access point at harvestnyc.org. We're also streaming each Sunday and Thursday evening service, so everyone has the chance to attend, even if you can't make it in person. If this broadcast has been an encouragement to you, would you consider supporting us? We'd love your prayerful support. And if you feel led, we're also thankful for any financial support. In fact, you can donate securely on our website, harvestnyc.org. Again, that was harvestnyc.org. Thanks for your support. And thanks for listening in today. Join us again next time for more with Pastor Mike right here on In My Father's House. Where I long to be, oh my heart, not be troubled.